Hello and welcome to the Conclave Cast. We are a group of writers who connect emerging fantasy authors with readers on the hunt for the next titan of the genre. Every few weeks, we will introduce a new world, a new tale, and a new author so you can learn the story behind the story and meet the creator behind the pen. I'm your host, Tim Fasciola, and I hope you enjoy the show. Joining me today is the one and only SJ. And most importantly, today's special guest is author, playwright, actor, director, and yes, also a comedian, Nathan McCarrick. Nathan, so great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to chat. We are so excited to have gotten to read Nottingham and even more excited to share this with our listeners because we know people are just going to love this. I have the book blurb here. This is on the book jacket. Listen to this. England, 1191. King Richard is half a world away, fighting for God and his own ambition. Back home, his country languishes, bankrupt and on the verge of anarchy. People with power are running unchecked. People without are growing angry. And in Nottingham, one of the largest shires in England, the sheriff seems intent on doing nothing about it. As the leaves turn gold in the Sherwood Forest, the lives of six people become intertwined and a strange story begins to spread. Now, I don't think strange quite does this masterpiece justice, Nathan. I think I might want to talk to your, uh, your copy <laughs> people about this one. Because these, these six people, these six, they're, I'm not calling them characters because yes, they are people. We've such a timeless story together. And I'm just, I'm so excited to have you here to speak with us about it. So let's talk about this because you have done such an excellent job of this perspective. When we see the world from one character's eyes, it's easy to be like, okay, this is what it is. You know, we just trust them. We believe their thoughts, their ideas, their prejudices. It's doctrine because we see it from that character's point of view. But Nathan, you're get, like, you gave me such agita. Like, what are we as readers to do when you give us six characters who are each just as convincing as the next? Like, everything was always butting heads and just such a, oh, and you turned like this lighthearted story of heroism like everyone knows Robin Hood and you just turned it into a masterclass on the value of perspective so like can you just talk to us about how you turned this simple timeless legend into such a compelling and fresh complex work of art uh, yeah uh, it kind of goes back to how I started writing it and why I wrote it I mean obviously there are a lot of versions of Robin Hood out there. And you would think that there are enough versions that would satisfy everyone. Uh, so why on earth would we need another version, right? Um, but I was, you know, I was someone who was never really uh, happy with the versions that I'd seen. I'd never seen the version that I wanted, right? Mm. Um, and and a lot of that comes down to the the, the stark good guyness and bad guyness that we typically get out of Robin Hood stories, uh, and that's not you know I guess that's just not my jam. Uh, you know I like mm -hmm. more three dimensional characters. I like the gray. Mm -hmm. I like seeing villains who are doing things for the right reason. I like I like seeing mm -hmm. heroes that make mistakes and whose plans don't succeed. I like all of that. Um, <laughs> But we didn't get that in, in Robin Hood, right? We always get Robin Hoods who are unbelievably good guys and sheriffs of Nottingham who are unbelievably bad guys. Um, and I mean, we don't we don't see that in the real world. Like, like what was the last time you heard a news story about 
some uh, some altruistic uh, thief who uh, who robbed <laughs> from um, the evil corporations and spread it out to the people. Right? It doesn't happen. Yeah. Pro probably because it didn't happen. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, the flip side is not is maybe not quite as relevant because we definitely do get lots of stories about truly bad people doing truly bad things. Um, but even like you know, even politicians, they've usually got their spin. They're usually they in still some think themselves as the good guy. No one ever thinks of themselves as the bad guy. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that was my goal here. And clearly, you know, if you think of the sheriff of Nottingham as he is traditionally written, um, I mean, there's no way that guy doesn't think he's the bad guy, right? <laughs> when, he's, when he's sitting on his mountain coins and counting them, <laughs> taxes I stole from the poor. That guy knows he's evil, right? So yeah, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to rewrite this story with an with an eye on that and, and kind of break down Robin Hood as being this superhero and break down the sheriff as being this super villain and um and just bring them more to to something more central. Mm. On that, I gotta ask, if out of all of these six, since if you were trying to avoid this whole paragon of Saturday morning cartoon villain dichotomy, did you have like a mental line in your head these are the antagonists doing things for the their own reasons and these are the good guys who make mistakes or were they all more or um you know just merged together what's if, how if, did you think about them I'm yeah really if curious. anything it was it was about making sure i tried not to fall into that trap because it's so mm -hmm. easy to make robin always being really good it's so easy to make the sheriff and guy gisborne always being bad so you know, approaching it, uh, the guy of Gisborne character, I did everything I could to make him one of the funnier, uh, you know, the store, you know, self narrators, and and one of the people who is more more approachable and uh, uh, more relatable. Um, and uh, Robin, I did everything I could, especially in the beginning, to put him more in a hole where he does, doesn't want to help people and let him grow into that, to kind of pull them again, to take them the opposite of where they end up. Uh, so that's they end up where they good where they do for a good reason. Oh. What? Um, and I've got to sorry to keep on. Just really curious is what about for the your original characters specifically Elena and Arabelle? What was your sort of thought on they? Were they both sort of this good guy wrong reasons? Were they in the other camp? Were you sort of trying to position them as middle ground? Just. Sure. Um, for well, for both Elena and and Arable, um, if we go even further back, before this was the this was a book, this was this was a play, and mm -hmm. I mean, strictly part of the reason why Elena and Arable exist is because the show is such such a sausage fest. There's you know, there's <laughs> there's so many guys in Robin Hood lore, and there's and then there's Lady Mary, and, and, and there's that's one. it. There's one. Right? The, yeah. the token so, female, the token yeah. damsel in distress. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and doing doing that on stage, I wanted to get some more female roles, but I didn't want to do the sort of just uh, um, gender bender thing of like, oh, let's make Will Scarlet a girl. Like, the, I like few people yeah. do that. I always think that it's more interesting to create a new character mm -hmm. rather than just try to change a different character. Um, so I made I made Elena and Arable specifically both for those reasons, um, uh, and uh, without going into too many spoilers, but I, you know, I wanted, I wanted mm -hmm. Elena being kind of a foil for Will Scarlet and, and pushing him in different directions and, uh, and Arable seeing the growth of the sheriff as he, as he becomes who he is and, mm -hmm. and providing a counterpoint to what, where he's doing. So to the point where she can then um, antagonize him as well. Uh, it's, it's just so good. Like you have, I feel like it's, you know, 
some books give you like a rainbow type feel, but you have just made the gray scale so beautiful because it's, it is so great. And I, I, I feel like humanity, like we, we understand these constructs of good and bad, black and white. We like that. We're comfortable with that. But so you just, had, you just had me so uncomfortable for ever <laughs> cover to cover, just uncomfortable. Like, wait, I don't know who, wait, no, no, I want, no. Uh, it's like, it was a constant, like, but the, in the best way, I feel like so many authors are, are trying to do this. And I, I've yet to find one that has accomplished it so well. And, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit, but this actually does lead me into uh, my, my next question. Um, so like Robin, Mary and Guy, we, we know these characters, or at least we thought we did. We, we, know, we, we didn't know this version of these characters, but this depth and definition you've given to them and then these three other characters, because like, you know, Arable, I, Nathan, I was on the Google, I was searching. I was like, wait, who's this Arable person? He kept messaging me, like, something. have you heard of, have you heard of? Yes, I was like, am I missing something? And then I, when I'm Googling it, I'm seeing, well, she's in this play also by Nathan. Like, like it all, it, I was just, it was a snowball effect. It was so, it was just so great for me. But um, when, when you, have these six primary point of view characters. Um, and we even get some other notable like tertiary perspectives that come in, but like whose eyes was this most fun and most fascinating for you to write and you to play with in this world and why? Uh, I'll give you two different answers to that. And both of them will probably be very unsatisfactory. Uh, <laughs> the, the first is, the first may sound like a cop-out, but, it but it's very true that Kind of my my favorite perspective to write was always whoever I was currently writing, mm -hmm. and then when I had to move on to the next chapter, I always start off furious. Like, well, because I, I I write very linearly, so I you know I I map the whole thing out and write I write from the beginning to the end. I don't like jump around into the middle. So you know if I'm writing an arable chapter, then I'm by the end of it, I'm loving Arable. And then when I have to move on to write Gisborne, I'm just furious. I'm like, no, I want to keep writing Arable. And I don't want to write Gisborne. He's the bad guy. He's clearly the bad guy. You know, and then as I'm writing Gisborne, I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with him again and don't want to move on from that either. So, so in that respect, I think hopefully I got it right because I was always enamored most with, um, with that headspace of who, of who is telling that story because they do think they're the good guys. Um, the other, the other answer, which is uh, even trickier, uh, is the very first draft of this book um, was far more than just the six uh, point of views. Uh, I, I, I wrote it in, in the first way in such in a path that made every single chapter a brand new character. So there were thirty chapters. That meant there were thirty points of view. Woo! And to me, I was like, yeah, the, like, I want to see the unwrap. I want to see this Robin Hood story as told piece by piece by all of these tertiary characters. And Robin Hood is no more important than the villager who sees him at a town one day, right? They all get the same amount of word count space, essentially, throughout the course of the book, um, because Robin Hood isn't important, right? He is just a character. He's just a person, whether or not the legend kind of grew into something else. So, uh, 
So I wrote 30 characters originally, uh, intentionally to make them all unique and the most important. And then, you know, when I when it came down to actually getting a deal with the publisher, the publisher was, was like, listen, you can't do that on your first book. You you can't break the mold on your first out. You've got to you got to bring this back into something that we're more comfortable with. So so they uh, so I had to do major redrafts in order to get it down to the version it's at where there's six repeating characters and then a handful of epilogues and prologues and stuff. What do we need to do to get this like Nathan McCarrick director's cut? It's like yeah, I no, would I love that, I that. to read this. <laughs> I've got I've got one in my closet. I've got like the first version that was printed out right there in my closet. I don't know if it exists anywhere else. Uh, I mean, you, if you name a character in the book, they probably had a chapter that was all. That results. is so amazing, and it shows. It really shows, even in your final version, because they are so alive and so vibrant. Even the characters who get your interludes. I just edged in my seat. I was like, wait, who's this? Why are we hearing from this? Oh, we're hearing from this character now. Wait, are we not going to hear from that character ever again? Being disappointed <laughs> over here. Like, just all of that really plays to each character, like you said, feeling alive. I know for me especially, I didn't really realize characters like Guy were even the villain until near the end of the book when a couple of the characters were saying, oh my gosh, Guy is horrible when we were in their heads and I was like, oh wait, oh wait, he is? Oh wait, I guess he is. Because I don't think so. It makes so much sense when you're in his head and he seems like such a decent guy, guy, and trying to just <laughs> protect his men and protect his people and handle this infuriating situation with someone who clearly has no idea what they're doing, where he like, he's been doing this for years, he knows how this works, he's not trying to start trouble, he's not just in it for himself. And I was, I totally bought into it. I was totally sold. And then to have the other characters be like, he's the bad guy, just mind blow because I didn't even see it because we'd been so inside his head. So the way you carried this, really, really interesting. And I'm wondering if you specifically set out to have that effect with a guy or if you handled his character in a way that was any different than the way you approached any of the others because you knew he was supposed to be villainous. Yeah, Guy is tricky because he does arguably do the worst things. Uh, again, especially in the late stage yeah. when, when he's uh, he's really forced Doing to do stuff. some things that, that you shouldn't do. Forced, um, in quotes. Yeah. Um, uh, he was probably the hardest because in the original play, he was a bit more villainous. In the I mean, the, the play was obviously, you know, far shorter than this so it's only two hours long it was a clearly more robin hood centric story um uh, and once i was able to write the book then i was able to flesh out both sides far more but i still had these plot points where guy has to do evil things uh which means that i've got to build up and justify those moments to make sure that he thinks that they are necessary right because people do do terrible things when they think yeah. they are necessary uh and Absolutely. i wanted to make sure that that was a path that, that we've followed for him uh you know like i always um uh, I, I always kind of hearken to to breaking bad as, as you know is mm -hmm. one of the great tv shows that show you how a good guy turns into a bad guy and the 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 question of at what point in walt's uh story do you start realizing wait now he's the bad guy you know is there ever a moment when he snaps from good to bad and uh, you know and, and i wanted to make sure to do the same thing with with my the uh, quote-unquote villains is start them off good and at what point did they do the thing that now turned the corner for you or do does do they never is it just yeah he made a bad choice but he's still a good guy Ugh. yeah 
And that's, that is the shoulders up to earlobes, fists <laughs> clenching at my chest, like trying to, you know, console myself. Cause I'm like, I, I, like if you put, I, I, I often try to, um, with characters that I really feel like a connection to, I try to put myself in their, in their shoes and their heads and like, mm -hmm. oh, well, what would I have done in this situation? Sure. And yeah, right. I found myself able to do that with all six. And when I did that, I was just like, it's, and that's why I think your answer is not a cop out at all. It's just, it's, it's so true and such a testament to everything you've accomplished. When I am sitting in Guy's head, I'm like, yeah, Robin's a problem. Robin's yeah. the reason everything's wrong with the world. Right? And then when I'm in Robin's head, I'm just like, but if Guy would just do this, like, it, it, it's, it, it, it's so easy to see, but it's, it's this, when you sit like Humpty Dumpty on the wall between the two camps, uh, I'm yeah. teetering. Oh, absolutely. Well, and we I all... mean, you even, you might, you even get some of that in Will's perspective because he is teetering. And I, I love how you did that where not only did you create this dichotomy to tear the reader apart, but you also gave us even a character sitting within that dichotomy to even further feel that and also have a character who was mirroring the reader with that torn sure. feeling. Yeah. I thought that was very clever. Well, we, I mean, we all know, we all know people in real life, right? Who do things that you don't agree with. And you're thinking, I can't believe they did that. What is wrong with them? It was a terrible <laughs> choice. Uh, and, 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 and you, we all make mistakes too. We all do things in our own life. That's that we, we, we regret or, uh, we did for the wrong reasons. And I will tell you this, um, uh, not everyone appreciates that about the book. <laughs> like, uh, if, if you go in, if you search through all the bad reviews on it, it's usually the thing people are like, oh, I couldn't find any characters that I found uh, likable because <laughs> all the characters do bad things as well. Like, even the Robin Hoods are then making they need to do the wrong to things. stories. Um, <laughs> but I, I want that because I think that's more realistic. <laughs> yeah. Not only more realistic, Nathan, but like, so that's something that I do. I and I don't. When I when I decide I don't read reviews until after I've read the book. Mm -hmm. If yep. if there's if there's you know I don't. But once I finish the book and I like it, the first thing I do I don't read the good reviews because I have my own in my head. But I go <laughs> straight to the one stars and the two stars, and I'm always like, What did they not like? What what did yeah? What did you and like I can I can honestly say like taking my tastes out of this because this is very much in my line of this is it, it coincides with my taste but i can i can take a step back and say empirically like peer-reviewed journal wise like this is a, a it's so well done so even if you even if it might not be your cup of tea you know like this is a well-brewed cup of tea this, <laughs> right. this like you didn't just snap your fingers and and make this world come together and make this plot um fit fit in fit with these characters and because it, it just you have so many deep twists and they're fulfilling they're not just twists for the sake of twists um this took planting and, and planning and not only planning but research like so much research like the, the how much of the myth and lore did you like study and how much of like actual history to like King Richard's reign, King Richard II's reign, did you like have to dig into in order to strike this perfect balance and, and brew this perfect cup of tea? Uh, uh, I mean, clearly, you know, nobody can 
can see me right now, but I've, it, within arm's reach, I've got three different biographies on King John right here on my <laughs> shelf. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's um, there was a lot of research um, that went into it. I've you know I, I visited Nottingham uh, mm. twice during the course of writing these books. Um, I got to spend a couple of weeks there. I you know I, there are sections of the book that I wrote in a pub across the street from the castle. Um, a, a lot of a lot of like the the geographical research um, comes more into play in the second book as the second book spends a lot more time in the city um, than this book does. Mm. So I think technically the second book should have been called Nottingham and the first book should have been called Sherwood or something. I don't know. Uh, um, <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of real locations. Um, there's a, the oldest inn in England is the uh, the old trip to Jerusalem. And that's a big, that's a, that's, that plays in part in the, uh, in the second book and a number of castles in the surrounding area, things like that. But um, uh, the, the research that goes into it is, uh, is also sometimes thrown out, right? Like I, I, I did want to balance the level of folklore and um, and and history, because we know that we know the Robin Hood wasn't real. I mean, there's lots of theories on who he could be or if he could have been, but we know that he that he very likely was not an actual person. Uh, yeah. We know that all the stories that you know have been fabricated. We we can see when Lady Marion was inserted into the myths hundreds mm -hmm. of years after they first would have shown up. We know from you know from all kinds of um, uh, catalog that Friar Tuck probably would not have existed at that same time. So if you accept you know Robin Hood at all, you're accepting a lot. And so I had to accept that as well and say, I'm choosing that this is not going to be historically accurate, but I will still be as historically respectful as I can. Mm. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't throwing out history. I mean, not to point fingers, you know, but like the most Robin Hood or the most recent Robin Hood movie uh, with Taron Edgerton, like the city of Nottingham looks nothing even remotely like what it possibly could have looked like. It was like, what are you talking about? Where is the ocean? Not, it comes not on an ocean. What are you talking about? Anyways, um, okay, that, I, that, that's uh, pretty, um, that's, that's a, that's a, thought, that's a yeah. little, that, that's a little over my line. Of <laughs> so I, I tried, you know, I tried my best to be respectful. I didn't, um, one thing I didn't do was I didn't go and read and watch and, and do every Robin Hood thing that I could. Like, I didn't go back and watch all the movies. I didn't go back and read all the other books. Not because, even Men in Tights? Not even well, I mean, Men in Tights is, is, is permanently uh, burned into my brain, so I didn't have to rewatch it. Um, but, but the elements of the Robin Hood canon that I wanted to take down, that I wanted to kind of deconstruct along the way, I wanted those to be the things that everyone knows right so if i didn't mm -hmm. instinctively know a thing about robin hood then i know that it's not part of what everybody knows about robin hood so it wouldn't have done me any good to like really nitpick and, and get everyone's details but the big things like an archery contest the big things like the sheriff kidnapping marion to marry her the big things like john and robin fighting with staves over the river everybody knows those parts right, right. so those are the things i had to make sure were still in the story because they're what people expect um like like thinking about the what is it, the 2011 was that the, the russell crowe or was it earlier i forget what year that was maybe it was earlier in 11 2008 i forget the russell crowe and 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 and, uh, and scott movie i liked that movie a lot i really liked the tone of it but i think most people didn't like the movie because they didn't get 
what they expected out of a Robin Hood story. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure I didn't do that. So I, I had to make sure all those big canon, you know, tentpole moments for Robin Hood still existed in this story. Just so people had a path to follow that they think they know where it's going which made it then easier for me to take a whole bunch of left and right turns because they <laughs> thought they knew what the story was. I was doing spins, thank you, with all those left and right turns. I gotta ask though, if I get, um, I'm curious, if, so you did the historical research and you didn't reread, rewatch any of the modern Robin Hood, what about the older Robin Hoods, like the very early uh, broadside ballads and early documentation of the story. Did you go back and do some research through those? Did you say, no, I just want to do my well, thing? How did you I did that a, stuff? a little bit. Um, for instance, in the book, uh, Friar Tuck sings a song and in that, that song is very, very close to the opening stanzas of the ba the Ballad of Robin Hood by, ah. uh, by uh, Pike, right? I think it's Pike, uh, Howard Pike. Is that right? Don't, if I'm wrong on that one, then everyone can yell at me. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, so elements of that, yeah, like th there's some descriptions now and then, like uh, like um, uh, when Tuck is first introduced, they call him the Kurtle Friar Tuck, um, and that's I, that's that's how he's first described in the ballads and, and things like that. So there's there's some nods along the way, but I didn't get too deep again because I didn't want any even the original ballads to dictate exactly where the story was going because it wasn't about taking down those original ballads, right? right? It's taking it's about taking down the entity that Robin Hood has become in our current pop culture uh, lore, uh, which is very different sense. than what he once was. It's just it's it's so cool. And I think I think what makes it like make me geek out about it more is, you know, this isn't your first Robin Hood story. Um, and because of all the different mediums you know, we mentioned earlier, like playwright, actor, director, comedian, like you, you, author, um, with all of these different, like art forms that you get to play with, how does one kind of influence the other? And do, do you take influences from like, from how this was adapted as a play into the story and like what, what crossover parts like really brought out the best in this book uh very i mean the answer a very much so uh yeah uh, there it was it was very interesting to write something that i had produced for the stage and already finished right so the first version was 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 purely for the stage and i you know a lot of my very close friends or friends who people who became close friends were you know were played the various roles so sometimes it felt like I was cheating writing the book because all, all I had to do was write down the things they did. I mean, sure, I directed them to do it and I wrote them, I wrote the words, but uh, but they it felt like it. I'm just describing the way they performed, um, <laughs> which made it very easy and natural. Um, as far as the writing process goes in, uh, in integrating other elements of, of my life, uh, for instance, um, as a as an improv comedian, you know, I'm used to just talking off the cuff and bouncing back and forth in scenes. Usually, when I write uh, dialogue in my books, I'll start off just by straight up writing the dialogue. You know, character, 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 character. I don't write any scene tags. I don't write any descriptions in between. I just kind of let it flow and let the characters bounce off of each other, almost as if I'm writing the play. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll go backwards and I'll and I'll flesh that out into a, into a longer scene because I like that repartee. I like that mm -hmm. people react acting in real time. I like 
people misunderstanding the thing that the person previously said and asking for clarification, which you don't get in a lot of the things. Uh, people saying what <laughs> and having them repeat themselves. Uh, that's all real stuff that you, you can only do if you're do, kind of doing it live. So I do that a lot. Um, also, uh, as a as a stage combat choreographer, um, the fighting is is very important to me. I have to make sure that that the, the moves and the actions that do, they're doing during sword uh, sequences are believable and realistic. And you know, and I I clear out a space in my living room and I I choreograph it out and make sure that everything yeah. moves, uh, that flows. And because because when I read a story and I see someone say, oh, he he slashed on his uh, right side and then brought it down from the top. I'm like, no, you didn't. You can't do that. And then redirect the energy and bring it down again. No, you're gonna have, you're gonna go into a lunge from that position. What are you talking about? Anyways, so uh, so that kind of stuff is important to me too because it just makes it more realistic and and tying all my various interests together. That's awesome. But on that general interests thing, like, okay, I gotta ask. You have the novel, and before that, you had the play. So why Robin Hood? Why? all of this fascination and retelling and retelling of Robin Hood? Um, so the previous, the previous shows that I had directed before I had done Robin Hood were general, were usually all um, big sword fests. <laughs> so again, as a, as a combat choreographer, I like to direct shows that let me do big giant sword fights. So I had done, uh, I had done a, a live version of The Hobbits, um, which I had adapted Ooh. the script for. Um, I had done Three Musketeers. Um, we did Count of Monte Cristo, things like that. And my uh, my theatrical partner things to look up. <laughs> <laughs> um, my theatrical partner had pitched me. He said, hey, what, "What about a Robin Hood? There's probably a Robin Hood script out there." And I just said, ah, I don't, you know, I don't want to do Robin Hood. Robin Hood doesn't interest me because, I mean, it should interest me because it's got swords, it's got archery, it's got medieval castles. I love all that stuff. But again, like what I mentioned earlier, Robin Hood's always just been that too, too good and evil thing for me. And so my partner said, well, why don't you write your own version? And that's, that's what got in the back of my head. And, and then it came down to, you know, if, if I was going to write my own version, why would I be writing it? What is different that I, what have I not, not been happy with in Robin Hood's and, and kind of detailing that is what brought me down, down the path. Uh, you know, and what, one of the, one of the first questions that kind of led to a lot of this was the very simple question of who is the sheriff of Nottingham? And, uh, you know, if you if you erase the memory of my book from your head, if I had to ask you yeah. what his name no, was, no, right? Does not have one. You don't have one, right? You like no. may, maybe you got Mervin in the back of your head from uh, from Robin Men in Tights, uh, but even in a lot of the movies, he's just billed as the Sheriff of Nottingham. He doesn't even name, but we know who he was. There are historical records of who he was. Like so, that was the first thing I was researching was who was the sheriff. Uh, in this time period, and typically set, you know, during the, the Third Crusade, who was the sheriff, and and uh, what do we know about him? And going down that route, um, I mean, borderline spoilers, because if you Wikipedia this, then you'll probably learn a little bit about what happens in the book. Is that you've got a sheriff, Roger de Lacey, followed by uh, William de Wendenall, followed by William de Ferrers, in very short succession. And I said, well, well there's a story right there. Yeah, like, that's a, that's a that's a lot of turnaround uh, in a couple of years. <laughs> I truncated the the timeline uh, again, talking about things that are anachronistic. But um, I, you know, I I put it all into a series of span of a couple months rather than a couple of years. But yeah, there's a there's a reason there's a reason that something's going on there. So I want to research these guys and then start mm -hmm. filling in the story of how Robin Hood could have made this happen. 
it's it, it it makes so much sense like here when going back to um when you were saying how your experience as a director how your experience as writing a play format for dialogue one of the one of the one star reviews was complaining about the dialogue and i i was like i don't understand i don't understand i like i can't understand because it felt so authentic to like everything felt so purposeful and i'm i am a stickler if there is not a purpose for this like i'm gonna ask about it like in our critique ken group for this. ken vouch for this i am a stickler for purpose uh -huh. i want intention behind every moment every scene and nothing in nottingham is wasted not one offhanded look not one um physical descriptor everything is so purposeful and intentional and um also another big thing like i write gladiator fantasy so uh -huh. sword sword play yeah. is very important to me like and and how combat choreography works together and once again so authentic to like i once again i can put myself in the scene i can live it i can act it out i can feel it um and then you add in the layers of of history and the 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 truth behind the um behind the fables and you you just gave us something with so much to love so with that being said like what is there like one takeaway that like you hope uh your readers come away with after after reading nottingham that they come away just like they put the book down and go well mine was what the <laughs> uh, but uh, but aside from that, like, what, what's the take? What do you want them telling their friends? I mean, clear, maybe, maybe clearly, but ho hopefully clearly. Clearly, the main goal and takeaway for me of the book is is to remember that that your enemies don't see themselves as the as the enemy, right? That that we do all see ourselves as the good guy, and that there is justification for the way people behave, and that you sometimes you 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 just got to put yourself uh, in those shoes, and and if i could do that with robin hood with a story that is so black and white if i can if i can make the sheriff of nottingham actually justifiable then you should be able to do that with the people that you don't like as well right mm -hmm. uh you know the, the sheriff yeah is he has he done does he go out and make his guards steal from the people apparently so but how did he get there right and and what are the political motivations that got him to that point what are the what are the internal factors inside the castle that he's dealing with that make that choice better than potentially being dethroned and let some other sheriff come in who's going to be far worse no like how could we take that a pacifist as a sheriff and make him do the things that end up being the the evil sheriff and mm. and and thinking about that and, and then you and then you look at the people that you violently disagree with across thanksgiving um you know how do how did they get there what are they believing in what what is the thing that is important to them that, that you're not connecting with that is the only difference between a good guy and a bad guy um so uh, so that's that's the goal um you know there was a there was a small um one of my not my, not a not a mantra, but like a one of my one of my rules in the book was was to not have any faceless deaths. Mm -hmm. Like no one was ever allowed to die that you didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and and there's a couple exceptions at the very end when there's a bigger 
fights. But generally speaking, you know, like if Robin Hood kills a guard, you bet you're going to know who that guard is and you're going to have lived that guard's life and you're going to and you're going to feel, hey, I knew that guy. We were in his shoes. Now he's dead. That's None not of fair. This stormtrooper thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No stormtroopers, no zombies. Uh, none of nothing. Yeah. Take the take the helmets off and learn the bad guys so that because um, they're they're real people. <laughs> you can't just kill them. <laughs> oh, it's it's you have done a masterful job in, in in constructing this this world, and I'm a complete and total fanboy, and I've had trouble getting like hooked on something. Consider me hooked, like. <laughs> I'm, well, so thank this, you. This is the big thing. So for all of you listening now, this is book one. Now there's so much to look forward to because after this, we're going to take a short break. You're going to have to take a long break and read the book. But we are then going to go into a book club type conversation with full of spoilers, tons of details, all the behind the scenes stuff that we're kind of, yeah, teasing teasing right now that's all going to come out and we have nathan for a whole nother interview and then i'm really hoping we can get you back to talk again about lion hearts the sequel to nottingham so uh before we close nathan is there anything you'd like to share with us like this is your soapbox opportunity if you wanna <laughs> is there anything you'd like to share i mean if for anyone who's who's going into it uh, if you're if you're cracking the book open uh, you know, feel free to bring all of your prior expectations with you. Like, don't don't feel the need to throw it out. Like, keep you you know who Robin Hood is. You know who Little John is. You know who Will Scarlet is. Bring those along for the ride, and um, then then I'll, I'll I'll take your hand, say thank you for bringing those along. Now let's go somewhere else. <laughs> we know you're all hooked after getting to hear Nathan talk about Nottingham. So. Make sure to check it out. Make sure to read the book before we get that book club posted or after, but it is especially fun if you can read it in the meantime. And there will be information in the podcast description about where you can find it, Nathan's author website, all that fun stuff. So make sure to check that out. All right. And after you've read, don't forget, come back, get that spoiler filled behind the scenes interview. Uh, and it's just, Nathan, it's been great great having you on today so thank you so much for coming in thank you and uh listeners i hope you've enjoyed your time with the conclave cast and nathan and i hope you tune in next time when we when we get to the gory details <laughs>